Okay, so today <clears throat> we're going to start a series that's going to take us to Easter Sunday. And what we're going to do over the next, over the next today and, the, and then the following um, Sundays leading up to Easter is we're going to do a countdown to the cross. So we're going to take the six days preceding the Passover, and we're going to look at some very important events that occurred in those six days leading to the Passover or leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. The reality is we could spend... We could spend all year looking at the events that took place just in those six days. So we're not going to look exhaustively at everything that happened in those six days because we couldn't do that in six weeks. So we're going to look at some specific things. And today I want you to turn to John, the Gospel of John chapter 12. And so, if you read your Bible carefully, now, it, so it's kind of like the, what, the story I read to the kids. You, you can't go to one particular scripture in the Bible that gives you a definition of how to understand the Trinity, for instance. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, yet the concept that God is triune runs throughout the scripture. So if you're looking for one piece of the puzzle to define everything, you're not going to find it. But if you take the whole counsel of God and you put it together, you've got a very clear picture that God is triune. So when we look at these six days leading up to the Passover, and we look at them from the four Gospels, All of those four Gospels together present a more comprehensive picture. So, for instance, if we read just the Gospel of John, and we begin here in chapter 12, and chapter 12, verse 1 begins with these words, then six days before the Passover. Well, John's Gospel doesn't go day by day and count down to the cross. But if we take all the Gospels together, and we read them as a whole, we begin to see that the Bible fills in a lot of the gaps that may be presented in each gospel independently. And so God has written his word that way. He's done that on purpose. So these four gospels were never meant to be exact, duplicate descriptions of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. They were given to us for a purpose to present to us a very different aspect of who Jesus is. And when we read them together, we begin to see the entire picture. And so, John chapter 12, we're going to read from verses 1 through 11.
Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there he made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they but that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So six days before the Passover, Jesus is anointed by Mary. Now, actually... There, there are three anointings that we see in the Gospels. There's a, little bit of, there's a little bit of discussion as to whether there were really three different anointings or whether there was two different anointings. I happen to believe that there were three, and I think the Bible makes it pretty clear. And so let's, let's, let me just take you through those very briefly. Let's, go to, let's take them in chronological order counting down to the cross, okay? So the earliest, the one that happened first when Jesus was anointed, we see this recorded in Luke's gospel. So let's go over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, in Luke chapter 7, this is... At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the anointing we read about in John chapter 12 is at the end of his earthly ministry. This is six days before his crucifixion. This anointing that we're going to read about here in Luke chapter 7 is in the front of Jesus' earthly ministry. So the earthly ministry of Jesus lasted three, three and a half years. And so this, this anointing is three years preceding his crucifixion. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... Doesn't tell us the name of the woman, doesn't tell us the name of the city, but we know Jesus is in Galilee, because if you read the Bible in context, it says he's in Capernaum. So he's in his region that he grew up in. He's in Galilee, and he's in the house of a Pharisee, 
and a woman of the city who is a sinner comes into the house. And the Bible says that she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. So the Pharisee is watching this happen. And in himself, within himself, he is saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And he said that in all of his self-righteousness. No, the Bible doesn't say that. That's what I said. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says. He's saying to the guy who owns the house here. Do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which means what? His feet were clean or dirty. Now, they didn't wear, uh, they didn't wear New Balance Nike or Adidas with socks back in those days. They wore sandals. And so after you walked around all day with your sandals on, can you imagine what your feet were probably like with the dust and the dirt? So it was a very common custom, a very common courtesy of hospitality that when your guests came into your home, you gave them water to wash their feet because it was understood that your feet are dirty. Your feet were considered one of the most unclean parts of your body. So here's what Jesus says. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time. Since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, here her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at the table with him began to say 
to themselves. Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this is the first time it's recorded in the scripture that Jesus was anointed by a woman. The first of three such anointings that Jesus experienced. This was in Galilee at the beginning of his ministry in the house of a Pharisee. This is an act of pure love and worship. It signifies who Christ is as the divine Son of God, not only having the power to forgive sins, but being the one who is worthy of all of our love, all of our devotion, and all of our worship. Here you see this picture where the unholy touches the holy. And it's not the holy that is changed, it is the unholy that is changed. When the, when the unholy touched the holy, it was made clean. It was made holy. And you see the Pharisees in their mindset You're a rabbi, you're a teacher, you're a prophet, or so we think you might be because some claim you are, but we're still waiting to find out whether that's true or not. And as this unholy, sinful woman walks into this house and touches the feet of Jesus and begins to anoint them and wash them, All the Pharisee can think about is that if this man were a prophet, clean and pure and holy as he should be, he would know what manner of woman this is and he would not even let that woman touch him. Now I believe the only reason that guy let that woman come into that house is because He wanted to see how Jesus would react. And if Jesus would have reacted the way he thought he should have, Jesus would have cast her out as the sinner that she was. But because Jesus didn't cast her out, and not only did he not cast her out, but he endured the anointing and the washing and the handling of his feet by this sinful woman. And not only did he endure that, but he declares to her that her sins are forgiven. And those that sat at the table were indignant because of this. Because just a couple of chapters over in Luke chapter 5, turn there with me, Luke 5, verse 21 Let's back up just a little bit. This is one of those occasions where Jesus is forgiving sins. The man was paralyzed, and they brought their paralyzed friend, and Jesus, they let him down, and they lower this paralyzed man to where Jesus is. And in verse 20, when 
it says, when Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to him, he said to the paralyzed man, man, your sins are forgiven. Now you or I would have said, Lord, heal this man. But Jesus didn't say, Lord, heal this man of his paralytic condition. Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven. And look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So right there, their opinion of Jesus is that Jesus was a blasphemer. Because only God could forgive sins. And yet this man just said, Man, Because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Here is this woman of sin. Whether she was a prostitute, that's more than likely what she was, a harlot. Whatever her sin was, she comes into the house of this self-righteous Pharisee. He allows her to come and he allows her to approach Jesus. She grabs his feet. She anoints them with oil. She washes them with her tears, with her hair, and they... Sit there and they watch this happening and then they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And they're making a judgment about who Jesus is. The same way this woman made a judgment about who Jesus is, but they, they came to very different conclusions. The woman, by coming to Jesus, even in her sin, and anointing the feet of Jesus, and washing the feet of Jesus, and worshiping at the feet of Jesus, presents to us this picture of the gospel, that when we who are unholy are allowed to come in contact with the Holy One, we are the ones, we ourselves become holy as He is holy. This is the grace of God. This is the gospel. This is why Peter writes, Be holy even as God is holy. You and I can't do that in ourselves. You can't behave well enough to be holy as God is holy. You can't act holy enough to actually become holy as God is holy. We are helpless, hopeless sinners, and our only hope is that God, the Holy One, will allow us to come and approach Him and touch the holy, the only hope we have is that God will allow us in our unholiness to touch him who is holy. And in that moment that we come in contact, when we touch the holy, guess what? We are changed. We become holy. Because he is holy. And because he has the power to make the unholy holy. He has the power to forgive sinners of their sin. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to heal the lame and to say to them, not just you're healed in your body, but your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. Because the healing that God wants to bring is not just a physical healing. It's not just an emotional healing. 
healing, the most important healing any of us can ever experience is a healing of our spirit. It is that we are born again. It is that we are raised from the dead. It is that we who are unholy become holy because we have come in contact with the Holy One. And when this woman walked into that house in all of her sin and all of her uncleanliness, she kneels down at the unclean feet of Jesus. Now that's something in and of itself right there. They had dust on them, but she did not consider the feet of Jesus unclean. Why? Because she knew whose feet they were. And the dirt didn't mean anything to her. You know why the dirt didn't mean anything to her? Because she understood that she was nothing more than dirt herself. Because where did we come from? We were created from the dust of the earth. Now, if we were Pharisees, we'd be all hung up on kissing dirt. Because we wouldn't understand that we ourselves are nothing more than the dust of the earth. This woman wasn't looking at the dirt. She was looking beneath the dirt and she was looking to the feet of the Holy One, the feet of Jesus, the feet of her God, the feet of her Savior, the feet of the only one that could take her out of her sin and make her holy and acceptable to God. So this is an anointing where this woman comes in and she anoints Jesus and declares him to be God. And Jesus affirmed her declaration when he said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has caused your sins to be forgiven. The second anointing that we see is the one we just read in John. That happened six days before the crucifixion of Jesus. Now we know, we know when the first one happened. We know where it happened. It happened in Galilee. It happened in the house of a Pharisee. This one, where is Jesus? This is the important. This is putting the puzzles together. This is why you can't read your Bible in snapshots and snapshots and get it. You need to read the whole counsel of God and let the Bible interpret the Bible and put it together and let the Holy Spirit begin to bring it together. So what, do we, what does it tell us here? Very plainly, it says, Then six days before the Passover. So this is our time frame. We fast forwarded now to the beginning, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry when this Woman, the sinful woman, came into the house of that Pharisee and anointed Jesus and worshipped at his feet. Now we are six days before the crucifixion of Jesus, six days before Passover, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Now he's coming into Jerusalem, why? Because he's a Jew, and he kept the law perfectly. And what did the law demand? The law demanded that three times a year, every male should present himself before the Lord. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Feast of Passover was one of those feasts, one of those three ceremonial feasts given to us back in Leviticus. God gave to Moses. This is one of the times of the year when they were required to come. And so Jesus is coming like there are Jews literally coming from all over the region and all over the world. If at all possible, they were commanded. They, they came. They came to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is 
filling up with pilgrims that are coming for the Passover. And so now six days before Jesus is coming, it says he came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Who's Lazarus? Well, go back and read John chapter 11. Go back and read and you'll see who Lazarus is. Lazarus was the friend of Jesus who died. He got word that he's sick. And the Bible doesn't say once Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick, he dropped everything and rushed to where Lazarus was so he can make sure and pray for his healing. Now, the Bible says when he got word that Lazarus was sick, he waited two days. So that when he got there, Lazarus was already in the tomb for four days. And the reason he was in the tomb for four days is because the Jews believed that after four days, there was no chance your spirit had departed your body. So you're in the tomb four days, no, no chance of anything. It was like, he's dead. He was so dead, he was starting to stink. Jesus raised him from the dead, called him right out of the tomb. That's this Lazarus. So he goes to this Lazarus' house. I believe this is where Jesus is. In verse 2, it says, There they made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Verse 3, Then Mary... So remember Martha and Mary? There was a time earlier when Jesus first encountered Martha and Mary. Martha invited Jesus to her house for supper. Jesus, the famous rabbi, comes to her house and she's busy cooking and serving. And her sister, Mary, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. In awe of Jesus. And Martha is serving and working and she's peeking around the corner from the kitchen and there's Mary just worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And there's Martha working and finally it's like, I need some help in here. I'm serving all these guests and here's my sister Mary just sitting there doing nothing. Jesus, can you tell Mary to get off her do nothing and come in here and help me? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, do you not know that Mary has chosen the better part? Now, is Jesus endorsing laziness? No, not at all. But he was endorsing worship. He was endorsing that we need to discern there is a time when we need to lay our labor down and we need to worship. There is a time when we need to do what we need to do. Martha wasn't discerning. Mary was. Martha didn't fully understand who is in the house. Mary somehow had a better revelation, had a better understanding of who Jesus was, so much so that she was willing to sit at his feet and suffer the scorn of her sister. Now, that's at the beginning part of Jesus' ministry. Now we're on the back end, and here Jesus is back in their house again, 
And the Bible says that they're preparing another supper. And guess what we see? Same scenario. Only thing is, it's a little bit different. Martha is serving, but it never says that Martha was angry or Martha was frustrated. Martha is serving. Lazarus is sitting at the table. Mary takes a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. No complaint from Martha. Was Martha right in serving Jesus then? Absolutely she was. And I believe Martha served Jesus out of a heart of love and out of a heart of worship. And she didn't have a problem with Mary sitting there and anointing the feet of Jesus any more than she had a problem with her brother Lazarus who was raised from the dead sitting there at the table with Jesus. They were all doing, if we could say it like this, what they were supposed to be doing. They were all worshiping. They were all there in the presence of Jesus acknowledging Him because they have learned. Or we could say it like this, they have grown. So Martha is still serving, but Martha now is serving with a different attitude. She is seeing Jesus differently. She has grown up and matured in some ways. Mary is still sitting at the feet of Jesus, but Mary is not wasting time. She is wasting oil on the feet of Jesus. Not just any oil, but very expensive oil. Some say that the, um, this oil could have been equivalent to a year's wage. Expensive oil. It's not Mary who complains, but it was one of his disciples. One of the disciples of Jesus says, hey, we could have taken that oil and sold it and given the money to the poor. And right here, John reveals to us a more in-depth picture of who Judas was. He said Judas didn't care about the poor. He just wanted the money because he would take, he, he was a thief. If John knew Jesus, uh, Judas was a thief, do you think Jesus knew Judas was a thief? Yeah. Do you think Jesus cared that Judas was a thief? Well, yeah, I think, I think he did, but not in the way you or I might think. I mean, if, if I knew uh, one of the guys taking up the offering was a thief, and every time he went back there to count the money, you know, I would be going, oh, man, no. Jesus knew Judas was a thief. What does that tell us? That Jesus thought thievery was okay? No. <laughs> what it tells us is Jesus wasn't concerned about the material things. He was letting Judas be who he was because that's who Judas was. And Jesus, Jesus knew that Judas ultimately would pay for his thievery along with his treason and, and rejection of God. 
But I want to go back to this anointing here. This anointing symbolizes the washing of the feet of the high priest as required in their service. So in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, it, it, it talks about the, the bronze laver that was full of water. And it says that that bronze laver was there between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar so that Aaron and his sons could wash their hands and their feet. So before the priest would go in for service in the sanctuary, he was commanded that he wash his feet and wash his hands. Jesus is six days before his crucifixion. He is called our great high priest. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And here we see Mary washing the feet of Jesus. Mary, who was upset and crying and would not see Jesus because her brother had died, That same Mary is now at the feet of Jesus, understanding who this Jesus is. That this Jesus, as our great high priest, has made intercession for us. Who has literally called us from death to life. He has called us out of the grave to life. He has done that. You say, well, I've never died a physical death, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, but you are dead in your sin. You are more dead in your sin than you'll ever be dead physically. You have a better chance of being resurrected physically, raised up physically from the dead, than you ever had of being raised up spiritually from the dead. The separation between us and God was so great. So this is our great high priest, And she washed the feet of Jesus. She washed the feet of our high priest and anointed him six days before his crucifixion. Now, I'm doing a countdown, but I'm going to go ahead and take you to two days before the cross, and we're going to look at the third instance where Jesus was anointed. It's found in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Now this tells us where Jesus was. Matthew 26, verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came in to him saying, or having, an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So where is he? He's in Bethany. He's at the house of Simon the leper. A woman comes in. And she pours a very expensive 
flask of oil over the head of Jesus. Now let's go to Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14... Look at verse 1. Mark chapter 14, verse 1 says what? After two days, it was the Passover. So now we've, we are now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him. Look at verse 3. And being in Bethany... At the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of costly oil of spikenard. And then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some there who were indignant among themselves. And they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Notice, they're not criticizing Jesus. They're criticizing the woman. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And wherever, whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see this woman come in, this sinner come in and anoint Jesus. And he declares her sins forgiven. And she's worshiping him as God. Because he is. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem because he is the Passover lamb. He goes to the house of Lazarus. He's sitting there having dinner with Lazarus. And Mary, the sister of Martha, the brother of La- the sister of Lazarus and Martha, she comes to the feet of Jesus and she takes a very costly flask of oil, breaks it and anoints the feet of Jesus and washes his feet with her hair in that oil. And then two days before the crucifixion, two days before Passover, Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. The Bible specifies whose house he's in. And another woman comes in, not named this time. Another woman comes in and she breaks a flask of oil and she pours it not on the feet of Jesus. She pours it over the head of Jesus. No doubt it runs down his body. And Jesus tells us exactly what this anointing signifies. It signifies the anointing of his body for burial. This was his burial anointing because God knew that there would be no body in the tomb that would be available for anointing on that first day of the week following the crucifixion. Do you know there was a fourth anointing that they tried to 
perform on Jesus when the women went to the tomb on that first day of the week with all the supplies to anoint the body of Jesus. The only thing is, when they got there, there was no body in the tomb. Guess what? His body had already been anointed for burial. When did it happen? It happened two days before his crucifixion in the house of Simon the leper when this woman came in and poured that flask of oil over the head of Jesus. And Jesus said, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. So the anointing of Jesus in all three of these instances, one spoke of his deity, one spoke of his priesthood, one speaks of his death. We see this picture of Jesus beginning to come together, that he's not just a great prophet, a great teacher, he is God. He's not just some God who's far removed, but he is our great high priest who lives to ever make intercession on our behalf. And his love for us and his desire for our salvation is so great that he gave his own body to be sacrificed so that we could be redeemed by his own blood. And he pleads that blood on our behalf as our great high priest, and as our God, he has declared our sins forgiven. These physical anointings were only types and shadows of the true anointing of the Spirit that Jesus possesses as the Christ. That's what Christ means. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Christ means the anointed, the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. Who anointed him? He is. He is the anointed one. And so when he was on this earth, his father anointed him. He allowed John the Baptist and those around him to see a spirit descend as, the, as a dove. He allowed some to even hear the voice from heaven that said, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Others said, Oh, I think it just thundered. Do you have ears to hear what God is declaring about his son? So Jesus has an anointing, but here's the reality. We also have an anointing. 1 John 2, 20 and 27. John says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Or Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. For all the promises of God are in him. Yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit of our the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What is our anointing? It is the Holy Spirit in us. That is the anointing that we have. That oil that was poured on Aaron's head, that oil that was poured out on the priest for all of those centuries that oil represented the holy spirit it was a physical picture of a spiritual reality that you and i have come into in jesus christ god has anointed us in christ by giving to us his spirit it is the holy spirit in us that is the anointing that god has poured upon and poured into us the anointing oil was that physical type 
of that spiritual reality that we now possess in Christ. And that anointing is poured out now, as it says in the book of Acts, on all all flesh. That doesn't mean on every single human being living on planet earth and every animal. You could interpret all flesh that way, couldn't you? All flesh. Does that include my dogs and my cats? They have flesh. The Bible says that he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. How do we rightly understand that? Well, if you just take that scripture and you have your own imagination of what all flesh means, you're going to come up with dogs and cats and cows and goats and sheep and humans all being anointed by the Holy Spirit because they all have flesh, right? But if we read the Bible in context from cover to cover, we understand that that's not what God is saying. That God doesn't pour his spirit out, not only on, does he not pour it out on animals, but he doesn't pour it out on every single human being. So in the old covenant, who was anointed with oil as a picture of the anointing of the spirit? Kings, priests, and prophets. But now, in the new covenant, what does it say in Acts chapter 2? Your maidservants, your maids, your butlers, your, your guy who cuts your grass, the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what's in your bank account, doesn't matter who your daddy or your mama was, if you are in Christ, God will pour out his spirit into your heart. And so now we come to the book of Revelation. What does the book of Revelation say? That God has made us kings and priests. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. It says that he has made us kings and priests to our God. And this speaks of the priesthood of all believers. That we have received an anointing for this priesthood and for our rule with him on the earth. Revelation 5.10 says that we have been made kings and priests under our God, and we will rule with him on the earth. You've been anointed to do that by the Holy Spirit. God gave witness to that on earth, and God gives us the grace to not only worship Christ, but to partake of his anointing through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. For that's how we are saved and that's how we are anointed with his anointing. So our anointing like his speaks of our love, our worship, our service, and our death. For until we are crucified with Christ, we cannot be raised up in the life of his resurrection. This is why Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Jesus was anointed. He was anointed as God who could forgive our sins. He was anointed as our high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And he was anointed beforehand for his death and for his burial so that we too could be crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him 
and anointed with the same anointing of the Holy Spirit and be joined to him in life forevermore. Amen.